0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, while you're doing that, Uh, I want to recognize Alex Smith back there in the back, Alex. I know that you hate to be recognized because he's that kind of guy, but he's been uh, out in California in uh, training for the service, and uh, he's back with us after several months. Stand up, Alex. We want to appreciate you, man. We want to appreciate you. Good to see you. We love you and we've been praying for you, been on our prayer list. Doing church, the book of Acts, is the story of the birth and the initial growth of the church. And the book of Acts provides for us a pattern by which we should do church. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the reading of your word. And Lord, we're thankful for the the principles, the truths that are your word that we can apply to our lives, to our churches, to our families, to our own uh, quest of following you. And we thank you that each week as we come here to this place, we feast from your Holy Spirit in worship and in the word and in response to all that you're saying to us through these services. Lord, we pray that you would do that exact same thing again today. Lord, I come believing that you want to do a work in someone's life here in this service. And I pray that we would have open hearts and minds to be receptive to what you want to do in us. What you want to do in and through us is never easy. It's always challenging. It always stretches us. But may we be obedient to what you tell us. Lord, we come to you and we ask you to be with families who are hurting. I pray for Matt and his family, especially his mom. Lord, uh, over the loss of this dear sister, Lord, I pray that you would give him travel safety as he uh, flies up to West Virginia after the service today to be with his family during this tragic time. We also pray, Lord, for Sarah Peake. We pray for Mike Laster. We pray for Standon Johnston. We pray for Dottie Priatko. We pray, Lord, for Mr. Ed Johnson, Clyde Taylor, Charlie Pace. Lord, I I lift up to you Miss Jane Hardy. I pray, Lord, for uh, Olivia Weimer. I pray for Riley Peake. I pray for families who are hurting. I pray for Miss Joan Cordell. And Lord, I I just uh, thank you for the privilege... prayer. Now speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts provides an orderly account of the birth and the initial growth of the Christian church. It is is a story that, that begins by the writer of Luke right after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The book of Luke was written by a physician named Luke. Luke was the only Gentile Christian writer in the New Testament. All the rest of the writers in the New Testament were uh, Jewish writers. And no, it's not Luke Skywalker. And no, it's not Luke Bryan. And no, it's not Cool Hand Luke. Luke was a Gentile. He was Greek. That means he was non-Jewish. He wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the most books of the New Testament. But if you take in sheer volume the amount uh, that Luke wrote when he wrote wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, uh, you find that that those two books combined make up more of the New Testament than any other writer Uh, provided us. So, Luke is a very important person in regards to the New Testament. He wrote to this weird person named Theophilus. We don't hear anything else about Theophilus except in the Gospel of Luke, the opening verses of chapter 1, and in the book of Acts, the opening verses also to chapter 1. And we don't know exactly who this Theophilus was. He may have been a Roman official He may have been uh, a government court uh, official or the name Theophilus means a lover of God. And so it could have been that Luke was writing to all people who are lovers of the one true God. And so Luke is writing to us in the book of Acts. and, And the book of Acts is a very important book. We need to really pay attention to what is occurring here in the book of Acts for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts make up over one-fourth of the entire New Testament. 25% of the New Testament is made up with Luke and Acts. By that that, that, uh, mere percentage, we should know that uh, what Luke is writing here is very important. Second, the book of Acts explains something that we would need to know. He explains the radical change... In the disciples, when we leave the Gospels, they are moping around. They're, having co- they're asking questions. They act like they don't really know what to do. And then all of a sudden, you get to the letters, and you find these same disciples. They are empowered. They write letters. Their lives have changed. The book of Acts explains to us why their lives changed. And for that reason, the book of Acts is important. Third, Acts is important because it's the only book in the New Testament that fills the gap between the Gospels and the letters. There's so much that we would be at a loss to explain and understand if we did not have the book of Acts as that transitional book between the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus and the letters that reveal different churches that existed and how they existed. The book of Acts describes the transition of the gospel from a largely Jewish context to a Gentile context. When we leave the gospels, the uh, Christian faith is very small and it's very Jewish. But when we get to the epistles, what we find is that all of a sudden, the majority of the people who are Christians are not Jewish, they're Gentile. Well, how does that come about? Well, the book of Acts explains that transition from a, a mainly Jewish gospel to a gospel to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and how the Christian faith went from mostly Jewish to predominantly Gentile. The book of Acts is also important because it tells us where the Apostle Paul came from. Can you imagine, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which never mentions Paul, not once. And then, let's say you didn't have the book of Acts, and the first thing you go to after the gospel of John is Paul's letter to the Romans. And you're thinking, Paul? Who in the world is Paul? Where did Paul come from? Well, the book of Acts explains to us where the apostle Paul came from. As you know, he was a terrorist. He, he uh, obtained letters of authority to kill Christians and to uh, conspire to kill Christians, to destroy churches. And yet, uh, God got a hold of him, changed his life, He became a Christian and went from being the worst terrorist the church ever saw to the greatest missionary the church has ever produced. And so the book of Acts is very important for those and several other reasons. But I want us to look at the book of Acts over the next several weeks uh, because in the book of Acts there is a pattern that shows us how to do church. If you were to uh, look at mainstream culture today and ask the question: What is church supposed to look like? Many people would say, "Well, it's supposed to look like uh, uh, the most successful churches around. They got these big crowds, and they've got uh, they've got lights and cameras, and and they've got strobes, and they've got fog, and they've got smoke, and they've got fireworks, and they have professional." Uh, musicians, and they have sensational, motivational speakers, and that's what the church is supposed to be like. Somebody else might say, well, it's a a, a brick building, or a building with a steeple, or a a building that has stained glass and arched windows. What does the church really look like? Well, the book of Acts describes for us what the church ought to look like, and it doesn't look much like anything we see today. And so the best thing we could do is is dive into the book of Acts and see what the church really looked like then, what it should look like today, and devote ourselves fully to the kind of church that Christ has laid out in the New Testament. I want to point out some things that these verses in the opening chapter of Acts tell us about church. First, I want you to note that when we do church, Luke says, we are continuing the work of Jesus verse 1 says this says in my former book Theophilus now that former book is the gospel of Luke in my first book Luke I wrote about all that Jesus get this began to do notice that he didn't say I wrote about everything that Jesus did and it's done it's finished it's over That's not what he said. He says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke was what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do. And he continued to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit through, here it is, the church. And so when you and I do church... The worship, the preaching, the witnessing, the fellowship, the ministry, the caregiving. When we do church, we are continuing the work of Jesus. A better way to put it is, Jesus is continuing His work through us. You see, Jesus is not done. He's still working, but what He does today, He does through you. When we do church, we are continuing the work. Of Jesus. Second, doing church insists that we avoid necessary, unnecessary distractions. You see, the tendency in all of us, when we are called out to do church by the Lord Jesus, the tendency in us is to get distracted away from doing what he wants us to do. This was also true of the early disciples. Notice verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the days the Father has set by his own authority. You see, they were focused on the end of time. And Jesus said, you're focused on the wrong thing. That's a distraction. It's not a bad thing. The end of time and studying about it is a good thing. But it becomes a distraction when it takes us away from doing the one thing that Jesus wants us to do most Committedly, and that is, do church be his presence in our world. This was not the first time the disciples got sidetracked. Luke tells us that right after uh, sharing the Lord's Supper on Thursday evening, before Jesus was crucified on Friday, the disciples started to turn around and they got in an argument at the dinner table about who would be and was the greatest on earth and in the kingdom of heaven. That's what they were arguing about. Now get this, Jesus is sitting there knowing what's about to happen to him, knowing where he will be. He'll be hanging on a cross within 24 hours. He'll be in a tomb just a few hours later. Imagine that. Jesus knows this, and what are are his disciples talking about? They're arguing over who is the greatest. Constantly distracted away from doing what Jesus needs for them to do. You and I are uh, susceptible to the same temptation. We can be distracted by even some good things. But listen, when a good thing distracts us from doing what Jesus calls us to do, even that good thing becomes a bad thing because it is a distraction. Third, doing church works from a prescribed strategy. There is a strategy to doing church. In fact, if you want to see an outline for the entire book of Acts, the outline is in chapter 1, verse 8. That verse alone provides the theme, the outline that breaks up the entire book of Acts. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a four-part strategy that is described here in these verses. First of all, there is a prescribed power. You will receive power. What was that power? The power of the Holy Spirit coming on you. He says this in uh, verse number five. He says, uh, he says for, uh, well, actually in verse, verse four and Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There is a prescribed power that God gives you. Many times when we are called upon to be a witness for the Lord Jesus or when we are called upon to minister to someone and we feel totally unqualified to do so what we need to realize is that that the Lord equips us to do what he has called us to do and he equips us through his holy spirit the holy spirit is supernatural it's supernatural And when He is working through us, He enables us to do what we would not be able to do otherwise. The Holy Spirit is the prescribed power. Second, there's a prescribed purpose. You shall be my witnesses. Everywhere you and I go, whether it's seated in the pews on Sunday morning, or if it is uh, on your job on Monday uh, morning, or if it is at the fitness center on Tuesday night, or if it is at the restaurant or the theater on a Friday night, wherever you go, you are the presence of Jesus in whatever place it is. And when people see you, they may not be thinking about it, and you may not be conscious of it, but, but when they see you, they are seeing the very presence of Jesus. And whatever you and I do is a witness either for or against the Lord Jesus. The purpose of the church is to be the presence of Jesus in our world. So there is in this strategy a power, the Holy Spirit. There's a prescribed purpose, being witnesses. And then there's a prescribed plan, which basically is here, there, and everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. Now, if you take uh, that that four-part outline, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, those four things break up the entire book of Acts. Now, let me show you this. First of all, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see that the gospel was carried to Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The gospel in Jerusalem. Second, you go to Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46, and you see the gospel spreading outside the city limits of Jerusalem, into the uh, uh, surrounding province of Judea. Chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. They're in uh, uh, Caesarea, which is out in the area of Judea. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues. This is the same kind of tongues we see in Acts chapter 2, which is languages, and praising God. So the Holy Spirit is affirming this outline from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as it is applied throughout the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit working in Jerusalem. We see Him working in Judea. And then back up to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 4, and we see the gospel going into Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Then skip down to verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What kind of folks lived in Samaria? Interracial people lived in Samaria. They were half Jewish, half Gentile. And so you see the gospel in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, the gospel in Judea, Acts chapter 10, the gospel in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, and then finally, uh, the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, that is the baptism of John the baptizer. John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, that is preparing for the coming of the Messiah, but the Messiah is here. So, he said, he told the people to believe on the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So I want you to get this. There is a plan, a four-part plan in the book of Acts. You start in Jerusalem. You spread out into Judea. You go up to Samaria where there are folks not like you. And then we are called to go to the ends of the earth. Now, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to do one, and when we get all that, then go, to the, then go to Judea, and when we get all that, then go to Samaria, and when we get all that, then go to the ends of the earth? No. This was all happening all at the same time, in the same sequence. And so what God wants us to do as a church is to be the presence of Jesus in our Jerusalem, Palmetto, Sharpsburg, Peachtree City, Noonan. And then He wants us to be the presence of Christ in the state of Georgia, and in the southeast, which is our Judea. And then he wants us to be the presence of Christ in Samaria to people who don't look like we do, who may not believe what we believe, who may not speak the same language we speak, who may not be anything like we are, uh, who may be considered as the downcast and the outcast of society. Yes, God has given us the responsibility to be the presence of Jesus to them as well, and then we are to be the presence of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We are to pray for our missionaries, we are to give to support them, and we are to be among them. All those three things we are to be a part of. The book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and then... Uh, Throughout the book of Acts, we see this this four-part progression, this four-part sequence that we are to follow. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there is a prescribed power, and there is a prescribed uh, uh, pattern, plan, and then there's a prescribed period. When are we supposed to do this? When are we supposed to do this? Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Now listen to this question. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why are you standing there? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. When is the church supposed to be the presence of Jesus in the world? From the time Jesus left here until the time Jesus comes back. From the time that you become a Christian until the time you die, you are called to be the presence of the Lord Jesus in your world that is doing church